Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, where we continue our series, An Alternative Lifestyle, today with a message entitled, The Nature of Christian Friendship. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philemon 1 to 5 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. This week we're studying the book of Philemon, and we're reminded that this is a book that fundamentally altered the way that Christians thought about slavery, and and by extension, this is a book that provides us insight as to how the Christian gospel, the, the saving news of Jesus, how that news changes a culture and also changes the relationship between people. Now, having said that, I must admit that there is a great deal of criticism about this book. You know, the critics claim that the book actually justifies slavery because in this small book, the Apostle Paul commands a slave who has become a Christian to go back and to submit to his master. And furthermore, so say the critics, that if you read the Apostle Paul, as found in Ephesians 6 verse 5, Colossians 3 22, Titus 2 verse 9, in each of these passages, he commands slaves to submit to their masters. And if that's not enough, in in 1 Timothy 6, 1, he tells slaves to regard their masters as worthy of respect, as if, we might ask, any slave owner could be worthy of respect. I mean, what is respectable, we'd say, is to give people freedom that would make them worthy of respect. So what do we make of that? Well, does that mean that the Christian faith supported slavery? Well, the fair and unbiased answer is no. You know, for instance, 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, Paul gives a list of what he calls lawlessness. That is a description of people who break God's laws. And and here he includes those who practice sexual immorality, perjury, liars, and so forth. And in this list, he adds enslavers. He uses a Greek word here, which shows that Paul considered all kinds of forcible enslavement to be sinful. And it was even a violation of Old Testament law. Well, that's a mouthful, but we can't fully explain why and how Paul thought that. But we will notice that Paul thought enslavement to be a violation of God's law. But we might ask, well, how is it possible then that Paul can speak of slavery as a sin and then turn around and demand that young Anesipus returns back and goes to his Christian master? And well, might I add, this is exactly the question we should be asking as we read this small book, this book of Philemon. We're going to assume that Paul is consistent in his thinking throughout. He's not contradicting himself constantly, but he is thinking in a coherent fashion. Indeed, he always thinks coherently when he writes God's word. And as we know, Philemon, the slave owner, was a noted Christian leader. But rather than simply telling Onesimus, go back home, Paul writes a letter giving instructions to Philemon. And I'm reading verses 15 and 16. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. So here we get a sense of just how radical the New Testament ethic actually is. It presents us with, I think, a true and real equality that is found among the people of God. In other words, what we find in this book, and for that matter, in the entire New Testament, is is not the agenda for a violent revolution against Roman power structures. 
I mean, that would have resulted in a bloody war. And I'm going to say Rome would have won that war. But rather, what we find in the New Testament is a new way of living among the people of God. And this new way of living provides an alternative to the brokenness of this world. That's one of the messages of the early church. I mean, for instance, listen to Paul's words in in Galatians 3 verse 28. He writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, our culture seems to understand the, the fundamental equality of people. Now, we fought for that, and to the most part, it's now enshrined into law. So it seems to us that this is, you know, this is no new message here. Uh, but I'm going to argue that our culture, just, just like the ancient Roman one, doesn't understand these things even slightly. When our culture talks about equality between people, it hardly ever mentions these things in terms of relationships. It only speaks about these things in terms of laws. So if you want a radical alternative lifestyle, one that shows us how the Christian community provides a a substitute for the brokenness of culture, what we can't just talk about the equality between people, what we need is reconciliation between people. And what we also need is love between people. See, it's so easy for us to break with people who are enslavers. Say, we'll have nothing more to do with them. That's not what we find in the New Testament. See, what Paul's really interested in is, that is in the book of Philemon, is not to begin a political movement that challenges Roman slavery laws. I know that's what some of us would want in the Bible, but that's not the revolutionary nature of the gospel. The gospel is something different. See, what Paul wants is to touch the way that Philemon and Onesimus, a Christian master and a Christian slave, interact with each other face to face. And he wants to show what kind of relationship happens when two people are found to be in Christ. Now, stop for a moment and think about that. How many times in our day, in our culture, does one hear you know, of the rich and the poor forming intimate friendships of love and respect and affection and fellowship and the working together for a common goal? Well, that almost never happens. Here's what happens. People tend to form friendships with people within their socioeconomic standing in life. Ask yourself this question. How many of your friends, that is, deep, endearing friends, walking through life together with you, friendships that you have with people that are outside of your income group? I'll bet many of us can't even name a single one. So, you know, when the rich vacation, where do they go? Well, they go to places that the middle class or the poor can't afford. And that's just one example of just how impossible meaningful relationships are between masters and slaves or or the rich and the poor or between employers and employees or between the unemployed and people in professions. I mean, we could go on and on with examples. And all of us who would want Paul to lay down national laws regarding slavery, well, we're going to be disappointed. But for those of us who believe that the love of Christ can transcend any social structure, well, this is genuinely an exciting book. Okay, are we ready to study the nuts and bolts of this letter? I hope we are. So let's start now at the beginning. The first half of verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So let's stop there. You know, as can be seen, this letter is one of Paul's prison letters. 
This letter, along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, was written by Paul, most likely from Rome, while in prison, awaiting Caesar's tribunal, where he would be either released or sentenced to death. And we notice also that Paul is keenly aware that his imprisonment has everything to do with his faith in Christ. Were he not active in advancing the gospel, well, he wouldn't be there in that Roman prison. This is the price of missions. This this is the price of evangelism. This is the price of advancing the gospel. And we also notice that Paul is not alone. A gospel ministry is never an individual affair. It's a partnership with others, others who labor side by side. And out of this partnership comes friendship and comes love. And Timothy, his young apprentice, is with him. Timothy is not ashamed of Paul's chains and risks his own life and freedom to be identified with Paul and with his ministry. Theirs is a friendship that is born out of gospel advancement. Well, let's carry on. I'm reading now verses 1b to 2. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, we've already identified Philemon. Paul calls him his beloved fellow worker. Now, it's clear he loves Philemon. And it's also clear that the relationship of love between them has everything to do with a mission that they share together. They have worked together to make Christ known. But who is Aphia? Now, most Bible teachers believe that Aphia was Philemon's wife, and Paul identifies her as our sister. And she's also in Christ. The gospel not only changed Philemon, it changed his marriage because Aphia was more than his wife. She was his sister and also a gospel servant together with him. And then he mentions a man named Archippus. Now, many scholars assume that Archippus, because the book mentions this as his house as well, scholars assume that this may have been his son, and Paul calls him our fellow soldier. So now the gospel has not only changed the man, it's changed his marriage, but it's changed his family as well. Now, this family has been transformed into gospel servants, and they all work together in order to make Christ known. And this is but the first area that we find in this book where the gospel changes relationships. We're going to continue to read, and we're going to find that every relationship now gets changed in Christ. From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curacao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirm special friends and musicians, Shane and Angela Weeb. I guarantee you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, you'll laugh and be encouraged, and you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. The Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise is a unique opportunity for connection, and we'd love to see you join us. Come on your own or with family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it all out at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or call 1-800-663-2425. We can't wait to set sail with you.
When Paul writes Philemon, he not only addresses Philemon's family, but he also addresses the entire church that meets in their home. It turns out that Paul believes that this matter of the relationship between a Christian man and his slave, while it's not just a personal matter, it's a church matter. How can it be anything but? The entire church is involved in gospel proclamation. This is the entire family of God. And here's the point. The Christian life, including the relational problems that we all struggle with, and the need to show love at every level, well, it's not just an individual struggle. It's a struggle for all the people of God. Now to verse 3. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This now is how Paul begins most of his letters. You know, in this case, he wishes Philemon and the other believers in Colossae grace and peace. But there's something noteworthy here. Grace is a means of salvation, and peace is the result of salvation. No one comes to Christ out of their own merit or their own goodness. Our salvation was all grace, something we got from God that we didn't earn or deserve. And and the result of our salvation, that's peace, peace with God. But peace is also felt in the way the community of God's people interact. Dividing walls of hostility have to be broken down, even Walls of hostility between masters and slaves. Now, before we go on, let's just review what we've learned. We've said, first of all, that the early church, in the early church, friendship was formed on the basis of the gospel. That's how Paul and Philemon became friends. It happened around the discussion about Jesus, who he was, and what he came to do, what it means to surrender one's life into his hands. Now, once those issues were settled, Paul and Philemon moved very quickly to the next level. They were fellow soldiers for the gospel. That is, they worked side by side to advance the gospel. They had formed a partnership. And that's why he uses phrases like, my fellow soldier, my beloved fellow worker. They they tell us what kind of relationship these two men had. But we also know that friendship includes family. And thirdly, we also know that that family includes church and includes faith. See, the church was a community who shared together a common passion around gospel advancement. People felt this personally, but they felt it communally as well. And that's why disunity is so destructive. When Christians aren't unified, well, listen, it harms the mission of the church. That's because we're not providing an alternative to the broken world. We're just providing another example of a broken world. I mean, you think about what people actually experience. You know, our country is is filled with people who are lonely, people who feel judged, people who regularly fall out of relationship, and people who have no place where they can go where they can feel secure. You know, it's filled with people whose spouses have left them, with people who are angry with somebody. It's filled with people who don't know what a lifetime of commitment to each other actually feels like, and they've never experienced what it is to be truly loved. Now, with that in mind, listen to how the great apostle speaks to that friend who is also a slave owner. Verses 4 and 5. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Do you notice what happened here? See, we all know where this letter is going. 
Onesipus needs to be reconciled to Philemon. But that's not how Paul begins, does he? Paul is modeling true Christian fellowship, the alternative lifestyle of love, and what true friendship actually entails. You know, friendship includes a commitment to not only to pray for one another, but also to deeply thank God for one another. We are remembering God's grace that has been given to one another. We're deeply thankful for all those areas that are commendable in the other. We're remembering that the good that was done in the life of the other. And we also remember that all the good that has come comes as a result of the grace of God. And that's altogether radical. Paul doesn't begin by getting straight to the point. Philemon, I have something to say to you about this slave thing or about Onesimus or about how he came to run away from you or about what we do now. He begins by safeguarding the relationship that they have. We're speaking about alternative lifestyles, the kind of lifestyles that rescue people from the, from the brokenness of living life without God. By the way, I wonder if you've ever noticed that some of the deepest wounds that believers commit against one another is because we haven't safeguarded the relationship first. We've criticized one another. We've thrown others away without telling the other how deeply we've been thanking God for the growth in faith that we find for the other. And above all, most often we find out that we've not prayed for the other, deeply thank God for the other. The principle of whole relationships, that's the center of this book. Of course, we need to correct one another at times, but we must never do that in an atmosphere of anything other than a firm conviction, as Paul says in, in Philippians 1.6, where he says, believing that he who began a good work in the other or in a brother or a sister will carry it on to completion. We must become overwhelmed with the grace that is operating in one another. Anything short of that, and we have wounds and scars and hurts and mistrust between each other, that principle is so large. You see, this issue is significant. And let me skip ahead all the way to verse 7. See, here Paul will add, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. I wonder what Paul was thinking about when he made that statement. Perhaps he was reminded of the fact that Philemon had opened his home to believers, that he had given up a great measure of his personal privacy to allow the Christian community to have free access to his home anytime they wanted it. But here's more. The wording here, and I'm looking at the word refreshed, that's a word that is actually a military term in the Greek language. It spoke of an army that had gone through a long march and it had agonized in that march and it was now given a rest. And the idea is that Philemon probably brought troubled and tired people rest. He brought them renewal. You know, one thinks of Christ's own words and, you know, come to me all who are weary, I will give you rest. Philemon had that kind of a reputation. He had allowed people to experience what Christ had promised. They experienced it in his home. And Paul, in his prayer for Philemon, remembered what Philemon had done and no doubt was still doing. You know, one commentator says that Philemon was probably a peacemaker. That is, his presence in the community brought people together and didn't divide them. He was the encourager. And Paul has noticed, and he wants to tell Philemon that he has noticed. 
He tells him, I pray for you often, my old friend. And when I pray, I always start simply by thanking God for what the Holy Spirit has produced in you. I saw you as an unbeliever, and I see you now as you have become. And I'm overwhelmed at what Christ has done in you, and I'm filled with gratitude as I think about that. See, how many of you know that that when there are difficult matters that believers need to deal with, and those matters come up, we all know that, when they are dealt with, with this kind of an attitude and in this kind of an environment, the result is not fracture. The result is healing. The result is blessing. The result is an alternative lifestyle. How many of us also know that there are people, both inside and outside the church, who have never known such a thing? You know, we live in a world of conflicts. We live in a world of character assassination. We live in a world where merciless slander is commonplace, where reputations are easily destroyed, and where people become bywords and everyone speaks the same words against them. And because of this, we live in a world of deep wounds, and we live in a world of dividing walls of hostility. So many people, both in and outside of the church, feel that. Martin Luther thought that Paul acted like Christ in relationship to Philemon. I have a question for all of you who listen. Can you see yourself acting in the same way? Can you see your church developing a culture where this is the first approach towards conflict so that in this atmosphere, other conflicts can be dealt with? May that be what Christ creates in us. John, I think we've all come across people that we would have to say, you know, I, they'll, they'll never change. It doesn't matter what you do. They'll never change. But I think it's true to say that we really have to be open to the Spirit of God saying, you know what? You need to be a change agent in their lives. Yeah, no doubt. But I also think, Ben, that, you know, the whole nature of Christian fellowship where, you know, we're actively thanking God uh, for the grace in the other, uh, where we notice when grace has happened and, you know, we tell people and encourage them on. Yeah, I think that's change agent. Uh, But we, we notice what God is doing and we keep our faith in what God is doing. I mean, all of these things are, are important. We must believe that God is at work in everyone who truly knows Christ. I mean, I think that is what injects the Christian fellowship with this undying hope. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, An Alternative Lifestyle, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. It doesn't matter where you live. The secular culture around the globe has taken its hold in our communities. It's clear that as Christians, we can't isolate ourselves from the culture around us, but we need to be set apart. But how do we do that? Well, the first step is to open the Bible and see what God's Word has to say. In Dr. Neufeld's series, An Alternative Lifestyle, Dr. John does just that by diving into the book of Philemon. And we're excited not to only offer this series on this station, but offer it to you on CD as our gift. Ask for your copy for yourself, a friend, or even for your church library. 
All you need to do is visit us at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.